we have a very special moment in Beneath the Skin history today. Matt has finally gotten a new microphone gifted to him by me. Gifted to yeah, him by me. I've got a new microphone. I've got, I've got an old microphone that Tom gave me. Yeah. And this microphone requires so much gain to even work that it is impossible for him to clip it. So we're now in the smooth velvet tone era. I thought um, I thought the microphone was broken because I had the hardware gain turned to like 50% and it wasn't even registering that I was talking. <laughs> For anyone who's interested, a Rode pod mic uh, requires so much gain that you have to essentially gun it at like 80% or above for it to even work. Well, I'm sure that makes sense to somebody listening. It surely does. But uh, you're very welcome to Beneath the Skin, the show about the history of everything told through the history of tattooing. And today we are doing our History of Flash Part 2 episode. You all seem to enjoy the first episode, so we thought we'd do an episode 2. Well, in reality, we got about 45 minutes into the recording and realized, shit, this is going to be like two hours long. Let's just do a Part 2. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's interesting in a way because I think this episode, in some senses, is, is, is a bit less... Uh, a bit less detailed because like you know huge amounts of stuff changes between where we started in the 17th century and and, and where we ended up um in uh, around about the 19 1960s but um yeah i think it's still worth talking about uh, partly because i think you know as ever this is the period uh, or the you know this is the period in which um uh, jd crow the uh, founder of um, official tattoo brand who were sort of one of the biggest selling tattoo flash brands uh, on the planet for for a long time. Um, basically, where, he, where the period in which he said basically flash died, and I wondered like we could start this conversation uh, by me by me asking you whether you think flash is dead because I I spend a lot of time as I said you know post the death of Twitter RIP um, <laughs> on Reddit on the Reddit tattoo forums and there's loads of discussion there all the time about clients who have been upset or even surprised to learn that their artist has been reusing designs and even from artists who are anxious or you know nervous about reusing designs and of course reusing designs is not the same thing as using flash but um it's just going to come into the into the discussion so yeah what do you think just to start where do you think we are today with flash and we can work back um i i don't think flash is necessarily dead i think Part of the reason for people like having the general thing of, oh, this design is unique to me and solely to me is the fact that now engaging with tattooing is much more of an individualistic thing. It's like I am going, I see an artist online, I go to the, I have a conversation with them online, go into the studio and get my tattoo. And for a lot of people who probably are getting their first couple of tattoos is their first interactions with tattoo studios and they don't really understand how tattooing works and they look at all the designs on the wall and say like oh they must be taken down but i think it is yeah a interesting aspect that i suppose you could call the general atomization of culture that like people see tattoos on them as solely their own and it's funny in a way right because going back to where we where we got to when we started, that's a nice pivot point because it was actually, you know, one of the 
reasons that the 1970s got called by people like Alan Governor the tattoo renaissance, um, this moment when tattooing was sort of, you know, reborn, why we think that's, well, I think that's not a good term, but one of the, one of the, the arguments for why tattooing in the 70s is different from tattooing that goes before is that this is the time when um, art school trained tattooers are really, you know, uh, coming into tattooing, people like Ed Hardy um, and Cliff Raven and others. And it's that time, right, when you've got art, quote unquote, artists, fine artists working in tattoo shops, you're going to get, quote unquote, art tattoos. Now, again, I've explained ad nauseum both on this podcast and in (laughs) print why I think that's a bad argument. But it's funny that this moment when you know, people like Malone came through Mr. Flash and then slightly later on JD Crow with um tattoo brand, official tattoo brand, and then there are other there are other European equivalents. I don't know, I isn't it isn't it weird, Tom, that we've got this moment where the seventies is supposed to at the same time be this moment when Flash gets massive for the first time and also <laughs> become the moment when it becomes when it becomes individualized through through art school trained tattooers, I mean, it's it seems like a weird contradiction to me. Well, I think I think one, it is like I said, the kind of like real birth of like individualistic culture, like the end of the sixties with the kind of hippies that like we are free to choose, like self determinism, et cetera, et cetera. But also, I think the influence of art school tattoo artists coming into it because like until you know that point. They are, you know, you're making one design and you're moving on to the next thing and moving on to the next thing. You're not really necessarily like replicating the same design over and over again. So it's like, I think it's those confluence of those two things. But also there's the influence of it. Like now it's becoming so much more popular that it's like, oh, well, it's kind of it's gone over the garden hedge now. It's gone over the the garden hedge. Is that a phrase? Yeah. (laughs) I think, and I've been thinking a lot about this, right? So Mike Malone's a really, really, really important figure here because he is an incredible draftsman, incredible businessman, knows everybody, ends up actually inheriting the Sailor Jerry legacy. Um, And through that, right, um, he ends up saving a lot of these designs um, for history and and remixing them, reworking them. Um, Hardy to... I think I think as well a, a point that I I didn't touch on as well is like as we're talking going to start talking about Malone, I think as well the transformation um of you know you before kind of this point and before kind of in the sixties you had to know who to get in touch with to get like new flash whereas like now as you're seeing it kind of coalesce into this uh, I suppose commercial product then you see that transition to it being like this is a commodity rather than like a piece of art that's right and the scale is just much bigger right i mean we talked last week about um people like zeiss and um you know even people like joseph hartley uh percy waters these these sort of proto supply companies in the 70s is the scale just changes right like it absolutely transforms and it becomes enormous so um maybe we'll I'll get we'll get on to to jd crow more detail but but hardy says of malone right malone sought to distill and refine the vocabulary from another era images that resonated with specific social groups in the early to mid 20th century 
Though in their original, though their original symbolism may be nearly lost, the grace and power of the designs have enjoyed a resurgence of popularity among tattoo artists and collectors. As a consummate flash painter, over the years Malone conducted numerous workshops at tattoo conventions around the country, transmitting to the old the old techniques to younger artists who are enthusiastically developing their own repertoires from the primary sources. Some subjects invoke deeper art history. The matched dolphins based on stylizations perfected by Jerry were in turn taken from classical Greek forms. This transmission of, of a canon of images, techniques, and beliefs is the core of the tattoo tradition. Malone's iconic compositions are precise and solidly grounded, but his mastery was achieved over several decades of drawing, tracing, redrawing, and tattooing thousands of images. Um, and I think, yeah, the sheer scale of that, right? Uh, both of what goes before it, and the and the breadth of the images that are possible. So certainly by the late 70s and early 80s you're no longer massively restricted to the kind of military insignia that had gone you know, been been big in the 40s and 50s and so you've got those two things come together and everything's possible and it's flash that make does that like again as hardy says in 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 this book that he puts together about malone it's basically like um yeah tattoo is funny enough you know we're talking about this art school moment but actually most tattooers can't draw or couldn't draw and flash was <laughs> flash was away and zeiss figured this out too for a way for people who couldn't draw to become tattooers right and so it's for me it's it's, it's this, this strange contradiction in the historiography where um at a moment when tattooing is becoming actually you know more more obviously standardized through mass production and mass printing techniques and ultimately as we'll get to through the internet is also the moment when actually artists, particularly artists who understand tattooing, like Malone and Hardy, are getting really interested in its standardised history. You know, I really sort of you know, paying attention to tattooing um, as a culture, I suppose, it, in the early 90s, maybe, yeah, like mm. getting hold of, you know, Tattoo Times and things, probably in like maybe 93, 94, I was 13, 14, something like that. Mm. Um but this, and so at, at, the, at this point in the kind of moving into the seventies, it's like this is where I suppose like tattoos start being represented to a more mainstream audience through cinema and magazines. Like I know the like biker movie movement of the late sixties, early seventies had like part of a role to play in this, and you know the kind of the weird, wacky like features of tattoo artists in magazines started to increase the exposure of it to your normal person. The, again, the real sort of um, anchor point for that is Lyle Tuttle appearing on the cover of Rolling Stone in 1970. Um, but again, there's this interesting sort of contradiction between the Flash uh, as a standardised sort of language, you know, that is not unique to an individual. And the idea that an individual tattooer can be this sort of rock star. It's something we talked about on last week's recording when we talked about um, the Tattoo the Earth tour, Tattoo the Planet tour, um, where the, the organizer of that tour, Scott Alderman, was like, oh, I could just replace Paul Booth with anyone else. Mm -hmm. And actually, the, the interesting thing about Flash for me, and this was also something I, I've, I've been talking about for a very long time, there's a whole section about it in my PhD, it's like no two artists are even going to trace the same bit of Flash the same. So I think that's how you resolve this contradiction, how you get from um, a moment where you do have incredible artists as, you know, in the kind of conventional sense of that word, 
as well as a, a, a very a very narrow flash language. And I think as well, like this is something um, for anyone who is interested or our existing patrons. This is something we're going to talk about quite extensively next week in terms of like, you know, the the transformative process of, you know, re like redrawing and reapplying an existing design. Um, for anyone who who knows what we're going to be talking about, who's gathered it from what I've said, it's going to be a good episode. But like, yeah, no two artists are going to one you know trace the flash the same they're not going to tattoo it the same and it also kind of ignores the i i suppose like tattoos as an experiential piece of art as well that like the experience for the person getting the tattoo will never be the same won't be the same between artists that's right yeah and and you know it's even things like how they run their machines what needles they choose to set up etc etc and it was you know um all kinds of artists even people that works in not very sort of quote unquote old school styles, people like Jack Rudy and you know, even Greg Irons, who works in much more fine line styles, were doing flash sheets. But you can sort of imagine like what the what the resulting tattoos were like from <laughs> from from flash artists with such particular styles. It's really interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean the the other thing to say is, and this is something I also find super interesting, and we we touched upon it last week, uh, last well, last episode we did about Flash, but I uh, I want to kind of remind listeners of it, is that um, what Flash did through the forties and fifties in particular was allow tattooing to become allow tattooing to become strange again, paradoxically. So I think um, you know. Western tattooing, the kind of traditional tattooing had become very familiar. Flash base ensured that you really had, you know, a very limited amount of designs and, 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 and motifs that you could get. So you got your roses, you got your daggers, you got your swallows, you got your panthers, and that's you know, more or less it. I mean, I'm exaggerating massively, but it's a very, very narrow language. But what that means is that Western tattooing, American traditional tattooing looks a certain way. And when... Um, military uh people military men are encountering tattooing in places like uh hawaii traditional tattooing in hawaii or in india or in burma they are seeing something that feels very very different and so tattooing which had become fairly familiar over the first half of the 20th century because flash makes american western anglo-european tattooing so different from foreign tattooing it makes that stuff look weird and strange again by comparison and i think that's one of the things paradoxically that drives what happens in the 90s with tribal we talked about the tribal episode it's weirdly a you know, oh, backlash sorry, to flash it's, it's a backlash to flash and this idea um uh, that the black white tattooing is something very different to american traditional western traditional tattooing is something that flash the, 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 the growth of flash allows to happen so by the 90s um Flash is like a multi-million dollar business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was a point that I was going to make is that like throughout the, you know, late 70s and the 80s, this is kind of, you know, a, a bit of a change in the fact that like before we've talked about multiple times that, you know, tattoo artists usually supplemented their income with doing just like normal, regular jobs. Like, you know, you could be, you could be running a bar, you could be doing one thing or another, but like really it's like artists being solidly able to supplement their income through artistic means yeah well of course actually that's also i mean again a lot of the um drama of the early decade had been to what degree people like uh 
Lou the Jew Alberts were ripping off other people's designs and selling them. Um, <laughs> again, we talked about this when we talked about tattoo, the tattoo music tour. If you can, tattooers only have the same amount of time in the day as everyone else. They can only tattoo one person at a time. Um, and so, yeah, becoming a becoming having a successful flash business, selling flash allows you to make money um, in a, in a way that's much more sustainable. It's than than working simply as a tattooer, yeah. Flash allows you to be, become. I mean, it is a it is a business, right? Like it is a it is a business. And as I said, it was this absolutely multi 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 million dollar business. Um, JD Crow um, had started running this um, official tattoo brand company, and their first uh, flash sheet came out in 1991. Um, the des- designs were drawn. Uh, in partnership with a, an artist called Lin Yowell. And Lin Yowell, um, who'd been a billboard and T-shirt designer. Um, and yeah, they reckon they sold 4,000 sheets, dis- dis- different sheets, design sheets, over the course of their brand. Well, that, like, it, it's interesting because the 90s, like very much, obviously I was only born about halfway through them, but uh, retrospectively, it it very much seems like this is the peak of like shops being plastered in pre-made flash sheets. Like w- when we've looked through boxes of like older flash sheets, this is where you have, you know, your sheets of kanji and, you know, your dolphins and your tribal stuff. And a lot of this seems to have been like all mail order. Yeah. I mean, Crow himself puts the death at 2004. So he says in a, in a in a he wrote a really interesting book about these histories of, of his business recently. But he he said in um, uh, on his blog back in 2018, um, official tattoo brand flash became a must-have for many tattoo shops worldwide. But by 2004, this multi-million-dollar-a-year business was put on life support, and I think that's it, right? So it's a combination of a few things. One is saturation. I mean, the, one of the things about flash is if you've got so much. You're never. You don't need any more, right? We 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 talked about the the pork chop sheets and the fact that if you had the flash that got the cash, if you put the flash in the window, that would get your customers in. That's one thing. But if you've got essentially enough cheap mass-produced flash that you might even be bootlegging by this point, because photocopiers and things have become and computer scanners are much more available, you actually don't need to buy any more. So it's a bit of a one and done kind of deal. Unlike you know, smaller, more bespoke sheet, ironically bespoke sheets of hand painted designs. Yeah, it's a it, we're we're in f- firmly in the era of like you know the HMV poster rack of Flash. Yeah, exactly. And and ironically, the the, the success of Flash companies um, like like Official Tattoo Brand and like in in Europe Cherry Creek actually means that you don't you've got all the flash you could ever need. And if you haven't got it, your mate has, and, and that's, that's it. Um, what do you, what do you think? Um, <laughs> there's a great one here. So, um, official tattoo two brand, uh, sheet 100 C, which is, um, one of their most popular, um, one of their most popular, um, sheets. So they've been founded in the end, sorry, 89. They, they put out their first mm. sheet, but this is one of their most, their, their, their hundredth sheet. Um, what is, is it? Oh, what year is it? Uh, 91. 91. So I'm going to say Kanji 
or tribal. Although it's, a, it's maybe a little bit early for tribal. Um, hmm. Does it feature ta- a Tasmanian devil? No, although it's definitely in that vibe. Here it is. Okay. Loading on the screen share. Ah, uh, yep. This makes so much sense. <laughs> it's a very. It's funny. Like it. It is a little bit Greg Irons. Oh, this is why I find it so interesting. So the the sheet is a sheet of pit bulls, right? So in that kind of vibe, it's got that post, um, post Jack Rudy, post Good Time Charlie, kind of black and grey illustrative stuff. But um, this is a mix of style got a kind of almost trad look not quite but tradish looking black and red pit bull which you could do in two colors you've got a sort of photo realistic um uh one you've got a really really like 70s album cover grim reaper mm-hmm. <laughs> yep yep Pointing, this, this is like a la- pit bull. late era blue oyster called um you've got a like real lal hardy-esque choppy hair um uh, pin-up girl, and you've got just a very nice sympathetic portrait. Like it's this absolutely. Um, on one sheet, you've got the same design, but in different styles. And I think that's also an interesting difference from how Flash would have worked in previous decades, even in the stuff that Malone was putting out in lots of ways. Because here, you're shopping not for a, not just for a a, a design, but also for a style. And all of a sudden. You're as a tattoo consumer, you're not just limited to American traditional from Flash. You are also able to get stuff in color realism ish, black and gray, fantasy, you know, except um, etc. etc. Your tattoo consumer in the nineties is shopping for style as well as design, which I find so interesting. Which is something that, like, I think is also an interesting point because it seems like very much in the 90s it seemed like the tattoo industry and artists in general were kind of searching for like what is the thing now yeah well that's it i mean again as as the industry is getting much bigger and again this is i'm just writing my new book at the moment and the 90s is really the last decade for me because it, it is the decade where funnily enough through the popularity of flash old school American traditional comes back into fashion again it's slightly waned amongst the hip kids you know like Ed Hardy in, in the 70s um, who'd, who'd been more excited about black and grey who'd been more excited about um, Japanese again who'd been more excited about what we uh, what we what we now call tribal um, but it was actually the, the people like Dan Higgs and we talked about him and we did an episode about him um, and others who who versions of uh, well it's what ed hardy called um the the new old style you know the 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 weird stuff uh the weird old stuff um and yeah it's uh, it's the 90s last decade because after that you've got everything again you can get your you can get your real trad stuff and that's the stuff that i fell in love with in the 90s you can you know and, and became a thing you can get versions on that that we call new school uh, you can get your black and grey. You can get your Japanese Orientalists. You can get, you know, what would go on to become uh, biomech and horror and 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 you know all of the weird variations and hybrids of all those different forms. And it's it's funny. Uh, it, again, it seems counterintuitive, but I think I think the the the, the kind of final 
no, it's like a is it what's the metaphor like a red dwarf star, right? Like this mm. flash gets so big and it explodes, and then you know it it can no longer white dwarf contain is what you're thinking of. Yeah, you're confusing the um, li- you're confusing the life cycle of a of a sun, but it's also you know it, in in terms of like positioning the '90s as like the last decade, it is like it's very congruent with like a lot of like popular thinking about history and like the kind of Frank Francis Fukuyama idea of like <clears throat> we have eat we have reached the end of history like this is where it stops and i would actually i would argue against that in terms of like you know yes you can get whatever you want but i think it didn't stop progressing past that like i think in terms of like flash as we knew it as both this artistic product and this commercial product i think maybe there is an argument there but i i would argue it's continued past that point what do you mean? So I mean, like, in terms of like Flash as a medium, like of pre-established styles, I think yeah, you could make the argument that like the nineties are the last decade. But I think as you progress past that, um, uh, as you progress past that, then you know there's so much stuff going on in the two thousands and the twenty tens and even now that I think has progressed general Flash aesthetics. Hey, are you enjoying the show? If you really like Beneath the Skin and you want to help support us, you can do so on Patreon. For little as five quid a month, you can help make this show possible, help us buy research materials. So if you like the show and you want to support us, consider kicking us a few quid a month and you'll get everything from bonus episodes to Q&As and you can even vote on what tattoo I'll get when we reach a certain subscriber count. Matt, have you got anything to say? You should really definitely uh, fund the Patreon because tattoo history is massive, right? Deep, wide, complicated. We're covering some big hit topics on the main feed, but on the Patreon subscriber-only feed, we'll be getting into some really more interesting niche, deep topics you don't want to miss out on. And honestly, the chance to kind of decide what Thomas gets on his body is probably just a once in a lifetime opportunity. Subscribe, chuck us a few quid. Don't miss out on the chance to ruin Thomas's body forever. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, this this hybridization of styles is is one thing. Before we move on to uh, the main thing on this, which I think is the internet, I want to show you. Well, I want to show you. um, I want to show you a piece of, of Cherry Creek. Say what you see. Describe to the listeners what we're looking at, Thomas. So it's kind of like color illustration, tigers, lions, and cubs with what you would imagine or what you would call tribal designs around them. Exactly. So this is Cherry Creek Flash from 1997. And this tiger was like the most ubiquitous thing when I was uh, a teenager, like when I was a late teens, early twenties, there are so many versions of this Cherry Creek tiger. <laughs> and again, it's really interesting. As I said, I think like tribal and uh, tribal black work becomes a thing because Flash is starting to become popular again, and tribal feels like a way to break away. But then, of course, through Leo Zulueta's um, Borneo book, where he publishes tribal designs, and then through the appropriation and watering down and just weirdness. Of stuff like this, you end up with tribe. This is one of the reasons that tribal becomes so cliche because rather than doing stuff that fits to the body and is beautifully, you know, custom, you just slap this on and it's a weird hybrid of styles. It's this proper, like, 
fine line illustrated grumpy looking tiger on the back of a completely incongruous totally bonkers piece of kind of acid uh black work <laughs> yeah yeah so 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 cherry creek becomes this um byword right for 90s designs the, the main artist was a guy uh called rand johnston mm-hmm. um uh, and rand johnston um is um i don't think it's anything we need to go into but he was um president of the christian tattoo association which i think is interesting um yeah that's a that's an interesting sentence yeah um and he october 1999 he gave an interview for um uh, christianity today magazine so right in the Right in the kind of boom period for Cherry Creek, mm-hmm. um, he's from he's from um, Wilmar, Minnesota, which is not exactly a hotbed of tattoo history itself. Um, and he said, "Yeah, he wanted uh, tattooing to become kind of evangelical to some degree." Um, quote uh, Johnson, who was a commercial artist for twenty five years before he learned the tattooing trade. Is an ordinary-looking man with a grey-goated, unfashionable aviator glasses. Compared to many other artists, uh, Johnson is lightly adorned. The only visible tattoo is a large cross on his forearm, but he's something of a star in the tattoo world. When you walk into a tattoo parlour, the walls are covered with colourful art called Flash. If you want a rose, for instance, the finger, finger the one displayed on the wall, and the tattooist will use it as his pattern. Johnson is the f- foremost Flash artist in America. During the first half of the convention, at least half a dozen tattooists stop by his booth and tell, it, tell him everyone who steps in their shops want the tattoos of one of his clowns or fish. <laughs> and I found, you know, on, on some forums, on, uh, on um, some, some tattoo forums, there are, there are some tattooers today sort of trying to, again, like really appreciating what Johnson was doing artistically. Um, kind of, you know, it's got a bit of a bad rap, as I was saying, but there are tattooers that appreciate what he was doing. And even, of course, of course, a revival of his staff. Yeah, isn't there something interesting about a guy who was a commercial artist, not a tattooer, for a long time, isn't himself heavily tattooed, and also has this kind of evangelism? Um, I mean, the, the Cherry Creek Flash is not in itself evangelical, but I think mm. there's something interesting about this kind of desire to, to to spread the word, so to speak, that fits really interestingly into... Um, into the Cherry Creek story and what happens in the nineties. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know that until I started researching for this episode. I do you know what? But it, it it makes sense in terms of like you know spreading the word through Flash, whether implicitly or not. But also it it, it also creates this diverging point of like stuff being designed not by tattooists. Yeah. Well, so he was a tattooer. He he was a tattooer, as I said, but 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 only after a long career in commercial art and the same is true of of lin yao who worked for jd crow i mean even even malone right got was a was an um a photographer um before he became a tattooer kate hellebrand his part one of his early partners she was also a advertising um artist before she became a tattooer so yeah people do have these kind of pre pre lives and this is maybe a good pivot into where we talk about the internet this is, it is a pivot where art that was not designed for or designed by people that really understood tattooing and skin became a really interesting and problematic move. I mean, as I said last time, one of the really important things about flash in its traditional sense, the hand painted flash in watercolor that 
originates to, in some sense as a Japanese painting. Um, again, this is something Hardy points out. Is that, yeah, like painting flash with watercolor and ink and spit on paper replicates the, 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 the motion or the, or the transience of ink in the skin as it moves. And so learning to produce a design that looks good on paper using watercolor is really, really key to producing a tattoo that looks good on skin. But when you get commercial artists who are used to working in like block color, CMYK, print, vector, you know, block fill, you end up with stuff that is almost by definition a lot flatter because they're used to working not in three dimensions on skin or even in the kind of pseudo three dimensions of a piece of watercolor, but they're used to working for very, very flat, very, very glossy commercial printing. And I think one of the things that for me uh, makes that 90s flash look so weird and, and, and what's happening with contemporary tattooing um, with designs talk, taken off the internet. And again, we talked a bit about that last time as well, is that it's the medium of the drawing is not matching the medium of the, yeah. Yeah. Of the tattooing. And, and that's one of the reasons why it looks so sticker book, like stuck on, doesn't look part of the body. It doesn't look, yeah, it's weird. Like it's sort of uncanny. And this is, you know, it's kind of bringing it full circle back to our first episode in that kind of, right now that tension between like digitally designing tattoos versus like doing them by hand is like you don't get those kind of those layers that are so much more apparent on skin yeah that's right and yeah i think you know there's there's some of that in in the jd crow stuff although you know not not it's not uppermost um in 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 the aesthetic but when you get to the cherry creek stuff yeah, it is just very, very sort of strangely flat. It looks more like it looks more like um, it looks more like it, more, it looks more like work on paper than work on skin, basically. Like very, very, very strange. Um, so yeah, I think I think really for Crow though, like one of the you know the, the real death, as we said, of Flash is is two thousand four, and that is basically the year that um. Uh, internet gets into people's homes for the first time. It's what um, long-time internet users called the eternal September. Have you heard of that? No, I'm not old enough. So in the early in the early internet, um, the most people got access to the internet even before the World Wide Web. Things like Usenet would join when they went to college mm -hmm. in September. So every September, Usenet bulletin boards and you know what what would become things like web forums would become overwhelmed by newbies, basically by new users going, how the fuck does this work? Acting rude, not understanding the norms of the conversation, like trolling, pissing people off, not knowing how to behave. And then basically by the time all of a sudden everyone's on the internet and it's September all the time. <laughs> and we are now in terms of online culture living in the eternal September. Um, but what, yeah, I think what, what, um, home internet brought, of course, was um, the ability to, to search images um, on the proto web. I mean, the, the World Wide Web was started in, in 1994. It didn't have lots of images on it straight away. Um, do you know the first image on the internet? This is a sort of little history of everything rather than the history of tattooing. But do you know what the first picture on the internet was? Uh, it was a flyer for the doo-wop group at CERN. Uh, called the Cer the Cernets, who were physicists working at CERN in in Geneva, <laughs> were advertising a gig. 
There you go. Little nerd facts for people. Um, anyway, but yeah. So, so what? But what the internet brings, of course, is four thousand the four thousand flash sheets of Crow's original tattoo brand multiplied to endless infinity. And yeah, I, I don't know. Like, um, and we talked a bit about the, the the context of the tattoo, the Earth tour, where all of a sudden you have people wanting to look tattooed in their internet profile pictures but you also have this gradual move certainly over the course of the 2000s up to 2010 and beyond where people are not having not bringing designs um cut out of magazines we talked about last week but which they're printing off the internet and this allows new kinds of things to happen one is that it becomes easier to copy people's custom tattoos than ever before that had always been happening but now weirdly anything's turned into flash right you sent me a screenshot of someone on um twitter i guess it was or was it instagram basically saying that like if it's online it's fair game and i you know i've just got to make a living and i'll take someone's tattoo that's something which really wasn't possible in the same way i mean and maybe this comes back to where we entered the conversation where all of a sudden because the internet flattens everything because the new york times and the louvre and Blogspot and Wikipedia and Pinterest all appear in the same shape on the same size screen in front of you. Its information is flattened. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 design that you can take, so to speak, is just as readily available to you as the photograph of someone's own tattoo they've uploaded. Mm-hmm. Right, and th- and this is like when moving into maybe about like 2006 with the real birth of social media and like particularly Facebook. That's when you see this sea change in terms of like people's actual tattoos on them being copied yeah and but also has the birth of the phenomenon of the tattoo crew neck of like moving into like the late 2000s early 2010s of like people who are only getting tattoos that are visible in photos so like getting their hands and neck not having anything else yeah exactly that's why that's exactly what i mean so I think th- th- that thing turns, ironically, it kills Flash because everything's Flash now, right? Um, the other thing Crow mentions um, is, of course, like the iPad. And I think that was a bit slower to come in. But of course, now, if you are you can produce line work or the click of a couple of buttons from any image, like it, it's much easier to turn a, a design that wasn't designed to be tattooed into a design that is tattooable. And one of the, one of the real 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 skills of of people like cherry creek and mr flash the official tattoo brand and even what Sailor jerry was doing was to sell painted designs that you could hang up in a shop and then lines that the tattooer could copy and trace onto stencils um obviously with designs found on the internet you don't have ready-made stencils but turning those designs into stencils is is much easier than it used to be um you have also things of course like the clone tool and 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 various things that makes patterns so, so tattooing has changed um stylistically due to these t- tools being available but it as as we said it has become a lot flatter and a lot stranger and also we talked about last week but it's maybe worth exploring a bit more now algorithmically generated so you type so the the, the popular designs are not just, just driven by what's in the front of a tattoo shop but it's what comes up on your google search when you search yep. flower tattoo cute tattoo whatever pinterest instagram like things that are readily available but i think also an interesting counterpoint to that is without this period 
I don't think you would have the current wave of a lot of people becoming amateur flash painters. Yeah, well, it's interesting. So again, Crow says in this blog post, um, even though much of commercial flash business has disappeared, many of today's tattoo shops have flashed out with original flash art. And we went brilliant um, skin sorcerer in Malden the other day in Essex. Um, shout out to Mark. And like, so I just, I no, 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 I'm just mentioning because that's one of the most recent shops I went into. It was interesting to me that they had on their walls flash designs by people like Paul Doubleman, Theo Mindau, um, uh, by by those artists who worked at places like Spider Murphy's, who are really like the you know embracing in the early two thousands again, sort of retrospectively in a nostalgic way, going back to Flash. Um, they had those sheets still up on the walls. Um, there was a, there was a really interesting book. Ed Hardy did a uh, a book uh, an exhibition actually in the nineties called called Flash from the Past. Um, and in the early two thousands, um, uh, the uh, Burt Crack and the guys from Smith Street like headed up a um, a project called Flash Revisited, where they re- repainted those old sheets. So. That, in a way, for me, was almost that last generation. And those are the sheets you see up in a lot of shops still today. Time is sort of frozen. And so you've got these, as you said, these people who are now online painting Flash but not even being tattooers is almost a kind of, again, nostalgic return to this this kind of traditional way of doing things. But it it does freeze tattoo shops in aspect. Like, we've got, this is the problem with trying to be a historian of this period. Everything is possible now. And you can't nail it down to to just one thing, right? And it's so much harder to do kind of like the historiography of images because it's like when so much stuff is being grabbed offline and then being transferred to Flash or like people are reinterpreting images that they found online as Flash, it's much harder to trace the origins back of them. That's right. I mean, this is where this this is where this um, Flash Revisited book is really interesting. So it was published in um, 2007. Um, it was put together by Steve Boltz, Bert Crack, and Michael Cruiser. Cruz. Um, and again, Hardy did the intro. So since Flash from the Past, he said, was published in 1994, tattooing's popularity on a global level has increased exponentially. Along with people getting tattooed, research and documentation of the subject has steadily increased. Um, and that, this is also you know, something we've mentioned already where Flash allows, basically allows people like Celegeri to become household names. Um, uh, although the look of classic tattoo flash never died out, during the initial tattoo renaissance, attention turned to alternative traditions. Then, in the early 90s, many younger tattooers and their public rediscovered classic flash, I think basically due to things like tattoo time and modern primitives. Um, today, due to the incredible volume of artists and clients, there are probably more traditional tattoos done than any time in history. The present book is a tribute to the original it's usual for tattooers today to approach painting Flash as an exercise for its own stake, with results intended to stand alone as artworks in themselves, not as simple sheets for parlor walls. And and that's, I think, the point you were making, right? That in an era where you don't need to paint Flash, painting Flash becomes its own thing, a kind of tribute to the history of the practice. Um, Hardy goes on, the enthusiasm and sophisticated artistry of the people in this volume reanimate these old favourites, they continue tattooing's crucial tradition of copying, replicating, and transforming a powerful image bank that arises from roots culture. 
keeping a strong language alive. And I think if we think, you know, we're now 15 years on from this book, but I'm thinking that people now that are doing painting, people like Darren Quinn, like um, Olivia Dawn, like Samantha Fung, like Nick York, like people painting, not actually American traditional flash, but painting the real early Ed- Victorian Edwardian oil paintings. <laughs> um, so going through this nostalgic process of, of painting in order to, to, to work through tattooing. And I think, yeah, flash painting is now something else, right? I think this is the point you were trying to make. It's this, it's this signal of, of anchoring to tradition this signal of, of understanding of where tattooing's design book come from rather than a sort of commercial necessity um, for, uh, for, for being a working tattooer. And I've, I've been reading uh, recently uh, about pixel art, um, you know, the, 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 kind of, the kind of stuff that was happening in the, also in the 90s, funnily enough, um, uh, people like Mark Ferrari, who was the background artist for, Lucas Arts um, on games like Monkey Island, and you know those guys um, were also stuck with a real set of technical technological limitations. They only had a certain amount of colors available to them straight away, the, the sort of standard color palette of the EGA graphics card. But you know they produced beautiful things. And I bought a book about the history of pixel art, and in it, there's an interview with Mark Ferrari, and he basically says it's really amazing to him now that artists are doing pixel art because they want to, not because they have to. Um, they're, they're working with this stupidly limited, absurdly constrained form because it creates creative challenges that are interesting. I mean, there's, there's a kind of aesthetic nostalgia to it too. But Ferrari says about pixel art, you know, the pixel art being done now is much more interesting because it's people who are doing it because they want to, not because they have to. And I think maybe that's true of Flash as well. People now who paint flash paint flash because they want to, and also interesting, interesting as well in the vein of pixel art. What you have now is a wave of people who are working within the aesthetic of pixel art, but much working with much higher density of pixels. So essentially, they're recreating the feel and aesthetic of pixel art with much denser definition. And I think people are doing the same with flash as well. They are like creating flash designs with much more kind of intricate detail and much less simplistic than you would think of of traditional flash art. Either they're doing it as a hobby or as a working artist. Well, yeah, and this is, this is one of the interesting philosophical things about, about nostalgia, right? Like, it is dangerous in some degrees. I've, you know, I've written about this too, about the dangers of nostalgia. You know, nostalgia originally was a literal disease um, diagnosed amongst... Um, uh, in um, Swiss recruits um, who had been like inscripted into armies far away from home, and then they were kind of sad and maudlin, you know, homesick, basically. But it was uh, early early army psychologists were like, maybe it's maybe they maybe it's because they can't hear the cowbells clanging, or maybe it's the al- the lack of altitude, right? Maybe this is the sickness for home. But so nostalgia, nostalgia is dangerous to some degree. You know, it, it comes with sort of certain potential reactionariness. But it also, in a time when everything is complicated and overwhelming, and as I said, in terms of tattooing, anything is possible. Like getting back to basics and a limited color palette and a, the things that work has a kind of 
calmness to it has a kind of authenticity you know again we that that can be overplayed and and can be pushed too hard um and of course hardy wasn't just interested in old flash because it was uh because it was old but because it gave a platform for something new um and one of the things that's interesting about this return to traditional flash painting or this kind of persistence traditional flash painting is those that are doing it i think most of them are interested in actually progressing tattooing rather than locking it down but it is it is interesting that in a yeah in a time when anything is possible there is something kind of magical and countercultural and 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 important about going back to getting your getting your hands and fingers dirty same with ink right yeah, and I think it's artistically, and this is kind of the point I'll end on, is I think artistically having limitations is a good thing. I know for personally for me, and I'm sure for you as a writer, like having some sort of box to work in helps you so much more. And for any artists that are listening, the worst thing that someone could probably ask you is, well, what do you want to do? Because it's then you have to try and figure out, okay, where are the boundaries of what I can do? And when there is no boundaries, it's quite easy to artistically spiral and overcomplicate it and like also lead to some forms of like self-doubt in terms of the confidence in what you're creating. Yeah, and and and, and, and parallel to this, to that um revisited project in almost the same year, I think. I think we have mentioned this on the um podcast before was um the the new school collective as they called themselves um uh adrian lee in particular like w- produced this project basically by giving a, a, it was called full coverage and then suits made to fit full coverage was the flash version where basically tattooers were invited to you know design a bodysuit with no with no um, input from clients at all. And then the, the, the Suits Made to Fit project was actually making them some version of them reality. There's an interesting kind of experiment in this relationship between drawing, creativity, and client interaction. Um, but yeah, the, the, the tattooers interviewed in, 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 for that project um, said exactly that. They found like, here's a blank bit of paper, do whatever you want. Yeah. Very, 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 very difficult because tattooing is inherently a collaborative, unless you're tattooing yourself, is it a collaborative Art, you know, and it, it, at the same time, as I said, as this um, Smith Street, Burt Crack version of Flash Rediscovery is happening, a much more kind of esoteric version of the same thing with some of the same people involved, to be honest, was happening in back in 2006, 2007. And of course, you give tattooers a blank canvas, and many of them are going to do skulls and roses. Yeah. Because right? when you, yeah, because you will automatically return to what's familiar and what is understandable yeah yeah and and again i think it's no surprise that those two things are happening at the same time in the tension of this immediate social era of the birth of social media like when you have social media for the first time and and, and anything is possible tattooers are instinctively like at sea they don't know what to do they 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 want they know what works as well it's not it's not just driven by panic it's also driven by deep understanding and knowledge of their craft and what works are the things that have worked really for for hundreds of years. I mean, you know, the, the, the basic bedrock, many of the bedrock images of Western traditional flash go back to the, in terms of, even in terms of tattooing, as we talked about last week, back to the 17th century, right? Um, and so, yeah, 
this is if people can find those two books that they were really um influential to me in my thinking they came out both while i was doing my phd and i write about both of them um revisited uh tribute to flash from the past book by by the smith street guys and then the double project of full coverage and suits made to fit by the new school collective um led by adrian lee uh including you know also like grimy's in that and um uh like there's um matt sharma as well very importantly the new york adorned people um like that that kind of moment in time i think is a super interesting moment where flash becomes a creative experiment in and of itself and i think that's what we still see today Mm -hmm. and i think that is where we're gonna leave it today want to thank all of you for listening as always we do have a patreon if you enjoy the show and want to support us or hear more for as little as three pounds a month you can get some extra episodes you can hear episodes early um we have different tiers uh for the 10 pound and above tier you get a shout out for 15 pounds you get a signed copy of matt's book painted people but without further ado i want to thank Stephen mccann roy Hoxema, morpheus ravenna chris block charlie lightning baba vextra shit jesus Reed Forden, Lupe Calderon, Garnica, Kirsten Wright, Kathleen Burkhardt, James Schick, and Dylan. Thank you to thank all you. of our patrons as well. And thank you to everyone who listens. If you enjoy the show thank and you, you. Uh, can't support us, consider leaving us a review or sharing an episode with a friend. Um, and once again, we will be at Brighton Tattoo Convention the last weekend in February, booth 109. Uh, we're doing a poster reveal soon on our over on our Instagram beneath the skin pod and the reveal of a super, super cool merch design. Tattoos exclusively from um, old Flash as well in fitting from this by Sammy on our booth. Um, two quick things for me. One is to say um, I, there's a couple of people who are still waiting for their, their free books. I basically i ran out uh i didn't realize i'd run out of books um i've i'm getting some more in uh, you will get your book very soon i'm very sorry um and, and then as i'm trying to do we're trying to do the bibliography for this week um includes uh bull's eyes and black eyes the art of michael malone on hardy marks um jd crow's uh story of official tattoo brand book um he's worth a follow jd crow with an e tattoos on instagram um the uh revisited flash from the past book and its predecessor flash from the past from 94 and the new school collective books um full coverage and suits made to fit which came out in around about 2006 um thank you for listening uh thank you for listening at the time Bye. Bye.